This is not complicated, just green. And it's time for an installment of Common Sense for Better Construction. We're bridging the information gap to help you reach a brighter future in the built world. Today's episode is sponsored by Creative Interface Architecture and Interiors, making sustainable construction practically impactful. Check us out at www.creativeinterface.design. Welcome, friends. This is James, and I'm very excited today to speak with Jimmy Mitchell from Skanska Construction Company, one of the largest construction and development companies in the U.S., serving a broad range of clients in transportation, power, industrial, water, wastewater, healthcare, education, sports, data centers, government, aviation, and commercial. Their purpose is to build what matters, offering transformative, low-carbon solutions, partnering with organizations to share knowledge, and develop an innovative net-zero solutions for the built environment. They have a goal of reaching net-zero construction across all projects by 2045. Please enjoy. I was a student at Georgia Tech. That's when I moved to Atlanta. Okay. Had quite a few friends in civil engineering. I mean, what we do in civil engineering is, is because of people. We build bridges or tunnels or buildings because of the needs of the community. So that ended up being kind of why I went into the industry. By the time I graduated, I dedicated my career to bringing progress in sustainability in the construction industry. I had a mentor, uh, Gina Abrams, who actually steered me into the direction of construction. And when I took that internship, I did a co-op in transportation design, but then I did a final internship in, with Skanska Construction Manager. It went really well, and I just I felt a bunch of energy while working here. So you came to Skanska right out of school? Yeah, I took a summer internship my final year at Georgia Tech with a co-op. It was five years. Fell in love with what we did. One of the things that caught my attention was a code of conduct. So can you explain what the code of conduct is, just in the simplest of terms? I think generally it has a lot to do with our brand. One thing I would say about the brand that I like is being headquartered out of uh, Stockholm, Sweden, there is a lot of sustainability initiatives that I feel like originate there and come out of there. And so um, in terms of the, the, the code of conduct, you know, it's just, I think it's important that we present ourselves well and we present our values well. Being here for 18 years, there's been a couple of times where we've communicated conduct in a deeper dive. So did the code of conduct, at least with your timeline, seem to coincide with this uh, declaration of a focus on sustainable construction as a main area of focus for the company? Yeah, well, so what I, what I kind of like think of is, you know, we're publicly traded and we're a values-based company. And so I think the way we conduct ourselves and uh, that brand is super important. From that standpoint, it's this consensus of doing good in the industry, uh, building for our communities, building what really matters, uh, as opposed to, say, you know, another maybe mom and pop type organization where even though quite often they're values based, there is still the say of one individual that mm. would be at the top. Right. So, for example, you know, my 18 years, it would have definitely been a time when individuals would have said, Jimmy, the sustainability stuff you're doing is garbage stop it. You know, you're going to ruin my bonus or something. Mm. At, at Skanska, if that happened, it you know, that conduct would, would have not been favored. And ultimately, it, it um, would have been positive for, for me, <laughs> you know, right. for, for the, the folks who were doing, being more sustainable. So, you know, when I was fighting those sustainable fights, the, and other, essentially the, um, the culture of the company would support uh, the, the folks making those fights as opposed to the ones you know, trying to bring friction to it. That makes sense. Yeah. What are some of the obstacles that you guys have overcome in order to hold true to that code of conduct? You know, I think generally nothing too major. 
You know, I think within the industry, I don't know of any real obstacles other than, uh, like I said, you know, individual friction. Uh, I, I got, I've got a good story, right? Years ago, when we moved into a lead certified space, we, we experimented with like a waterless journal. And then we found out that actually at the time, and I, I still feel this way, a one eighth gallon urinal is really the way to go. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, it's just funny stuff surrounded by, you know, being the, the, the kid at the time who made sure we had a waterless urinal and then getting, getting, being the brunt of the jokes for the smell of the bathrooms. <laughs> but then we worked through it, right? We just, uh, we switched out to one eighth gallon and then they, you know, the, the water reduction was reduced greatly and the smell was fine and the maintenance people, you know, got it. So, you know, we just conducted ourselves fine through all that, including some jokes. <laughs> yeah. Stay good humored about the whole thing. Yeah. Have there been any missed opportunities, be it a project that may have slipped through your fingers because you had to hold true to what your, your company's mission was? Or are there, there opportunities like uh, clients who you couldn't really get to come around to your side that you really wanted to work on their project? Or Yeah, for sure. So um, there are projects that we will not pursue uh, because of kind of holding true to some of our values. Okay. Uh, so, you know, I, I just give like an example, like you know, fracking and in Pennsylvania. Mm. We're not going to be involved with any of that type thing, right? The other thing that I feel it might be in those lines is when we're posed with maybe clients who don't have these as part of their objectives, so this, you know, these sustainability goals for other objectives. We, that, that becomes kind of difficult uh, because the whole, the whole uh, purpose of the construction manager, general contractor is to follow the contract and the contract then, you know, is, is uh, created by the client. So you know, the, the best way to change the industry is to have the, the, the contractual documents, the specs and the plans mm-hmm. kind of lay out what is more sustainable, right? And mm-hmm. we end up being leaders in the industry with other consultants and design teams and everybody. So we, you know, communicate what we can, but you know, then ultimately the success of that ends up in the documents, right? So um, I, I, I do think that is a constant struggle for everybody of always, you know, trying to get it right making sure that we're, you know, doing the right things along the way. Yeah. I've got an interesting story years ago. There was like one project team that was on a lead project and they recycled, you know, 92% of the construction waste. And then that same team went to another project where the owner didn't have those in the, you know, as a priority and they were hitting like 70% numbers, which was bad. And then we, you know, we noticed that early and we went and went down there and, and talked to them and it was like, yeah, you know, just not a requirement for the owner. So we thought about it. And then, you know, by the end of the day, we had found a few recycling stuff and there, it was a tilt up project. So there was a lot of concrete recycling and, and we ended up recycling it and hit, hitting good numbers. But th- that was maybe a leadership example where the company was looking out for numbers mm-hmm. and where it would have happened if, if uh, we were, you know, kind of tracking. When Skanska declared this as their focus, what were some of the things that they saw either in the industry or in the built world or the environment that motivated this focus that really made them zero in that sustainability has got to be a core value? Yeah. So I think the, the care for life values where I see the sustainability coming in play for us. It, on one hand, like I said, we're from, we're probably traded out of Stockholm, Sweden. And so they generally care a lot about this. We as a group, all our different business units have recently, in the last few years, made a statement that by 2045, we're going to be carbon neutral, carbon positive, and we're going to, you know, choose to be a leader in that space. And I do think that matters. You know, you think about global warming and climate change, we, you know, if we're not, if we're not supporting our, sustaining our planet, uh, we're not going to have commerce or industry or 
local communities. So uh, it's important to us that we uh, you know, strive to do better there. I, I, I'd like to tell a few stories. Please. On the carbon standpoint, you know, to that end, here in the U.S., uh, Stacy Smedley out of Seattle has led this uh, group of the Carbon Leadership Forum that's developed this tool that when we go to buy products, we typically look at cost, quality, and, you know, say strength of materials, other characteristics. Uh, this tool allows us to also look at embodied carbon. And so, uh, you know, for example, purchasing a 3,000 PSI strength concrete mix, you could get that mix and a cubic yard of it could, say, generate 195 kilograms of carbon dioxide or 300 kilograms of carbon dioxide. And so it generally, you know, up until I guess there are no costs, we should be smart about that and, you know, tend towards the 195 versus the 300, right? Hmm. And it generally our industry will use less carbon. Once that tool is, uh, you know, it is realized now we're using it, but once it's kind of fully realized, then it becomes a, you know, industry opportunity. So we can maybe do things, our supply chain can do things to become more competitive by lowering their emissions, right? Kind of creating the market for it. Well, in Sweden, we had a one-year uh, project. You, you know, we have 20% market share in Sweden for construction. In, in the U.S., the largest construction company doesn't, doesn't have 1%. So, you know, we own a lot of the, the supply chain there in quarries and this kind of stuff. So for one year, we did an experimental can we run a quarry using Volvo equipment that is fully battery powered and and then, you know, processing equipment that is battery powered? That is, uh, the batteries are charged from wind power, uh, from 100% renewable, right? And, and we did. So, you know, that's an example of, you know, they're the aggregate or these other materials that might go into that concrete mix, um, have zero carbon, um, and there'd be other processes that could even have, uh, you know, use sequester carbon dioxide in the process. And so then, you know, if uh, a local quarry utilized something like that, you can see how they would become uh, more likely to be selected if we're all aware about this, right? That's kind of an example that's really interesting. Locally, for example, out of Alabama, there's a firm that is working with this carbon-built group, modernizing their CMU block plant. And in the process, instead of being a cement cure, they're using lime process that actually sequesters carbon dioxide in the process of binding the CMU block. So, you know, they're going to be pulling CO2 out of the air to make their products, right? So here again, this would be either a close to neutral or even a positive carbon product. And, uh, you know, a tool like this would kind of showcase those and help help create them. So, you know, we've developed that tool. We've been using it. So it's it's a one of the, one of the ways we're trying to contribute towards this goal by creating a, a market that helps add embodied carbon as a selection criteria to all, all that we do in addition to everything else. So those sound like some really interesting things that might only be known within the industry, but you guys have actually made some headlines and been involved in some projects that got a lot of attention, not just within the industry, but across the city of Atlanta and gotten some media attention. Um, share some of those real marquee moments for Skanska and some of the big achievements that have. So we were uh, fortunate enough to be selected uh, as a partner on the design and construction team for the Canada Building in Georgia Tech. Real quick background, the Canada Fund is, um, they typically don't give to to capital projects like buildings, but in this case, one of the main objectives of the Canada Building was to build a living building challenge project, which is the most rigorous building certification program, requires regenerative design. So the building gives back more than it takes. It uh, generates more electricity than it uses. It will actually deal with water in a, in a sustainable way as if as if the building really doesn't exist, like it's woods. In our case, too, 
we salvage materials. As we build the building, we take materials that were demoed somewhere else on the way to the landfill, repurpose them, reuse them as new again. And the, actually, the weight of the materials that we threw away was less than the weight of the material that diverted from the landfill and incorporated. I'm thankful that the grant from Candida went to Georgia Tech in a partnership for, for them to build this building on the Georgia Tech campus. As an alum, um, it's been fun to be a part of that. So it was the 28th Fully Certified Living Building Challenge project. We have been able to showcase it with salvaging all these materials. I think one of the most fun kind of like engineering news and record type things is that we uh, incorporated over 25,000 linear foot of salvaged two by fours that Lifecycle Building Center, a local Atlanta-based nonprofit, uh, collected from film sets. And we incorporated that salvage into the nail laminated timber panels, which are essentially this structural decking material that sits on the beams. And uh, in contemporary construction, you know, we're having a lot of fun now with expanding mass timber structure, but this was incorporating salvage mm -hmm. into the mass timber structure. So that that's was really... And not just salvage from construction, typical construction, but from the movie industry? This is the movie industry, yeah. Wow. So we we established a kind of a, a rate with Lifecycle Building Center, uh, dollars per linear foot of two by four, or I guess change per linear foot two by four. We knew the, the quantity that we could take no more than, but it was a large amount. By the time it hit the scheduled point where we needed to use the material, we had collected just over 25,000, which is amazing. So um, yeah. they uh, the, uh, the show 24, the movie Rampage, and a middle school educational seminar were the three largest movie sets that provide the largest material. And so, yeah, it's, it's this, um, you know, they make these uh, films, they shoot them for, you know, say three, four or five months. They uh, strike the set afterwards, they tear it down and they throw the material away. And in this case, we uh, collected that material and repurposed it, decking material at Kadita. It's pretty cool. The way it works out is if you look up in the building, you see these a two by six stood up. They'll do a two by four and they'll do a two by six. They'll do a two by four repeated through the entire building. And you look up, it's an amazing look, these panels. But um, over 25% of the two-by-fours uh, were, were all. It's really clever. You mentioned the Lifecycle Building mm -hmm. Center, and I know that you're involved in that. Is that something that Skanska is involved in, or is that something that personally you've done and, and established that connection? How did how did those two connect? Yeah, both. So early days of Lifecycle Building Center, Adam Dack came from the Raleigh market and was at South Face. Perkins & Will was doing a renovation that was lead platinum. So many of the lead projects, we would just skip over salvage. And so that really, because of that, uh, was something in the community that the industry was, I guess, a little ashamed of. It's like, why do we keep jumping over the salvage? It's like something we had to create. Yeah, a real missed opportunity there. It was. And it was like project after project, we're skipping over salvage. And I remember these stories that people would tell me like, well, let's just drive out the countryside and buy a barn and then turn that into a wood floor. And you can't, you can't think of a more expensive way to do salvage. And, mm -hmm. and the truth is that salvage is actually a sustainability opportunity that saves at the Candida building, we saved about $84,000 because we used salvage. So my, my personal Skanska story is I was working with Matt, Matt Williams at the KPMG project uh, that at the time was the SunTrust Tower. We had a five-floor renovation. And the sustainability committee there uh, asked uh, me if 
we could salvage. We, we built this urban garden for the Atlanta mission really close by. And so we had the relationships there. And it uh, turns out that their facilities person said, yeah, if there's some materials we can use, let's take them. We logistically could not get it to work out. We needed it by Thursday or whatever out of there. And then it's like, well, who's insured to pick it up? Or even if we drop it off, you know, let's say they had a need for 90 doors for their Fuqua Hall building. They had nowhere to store 90 doors and they certainly couldn't start installing them Thursday, you know? So they needed something. So I actually um, met uh, Shannon Goodman, who's the executive director at Lifecycle at a sustainable Atlanta roundtable meeting. Before the end of the roundtable, she got up and said, hey, you know, me and Adam Beck were thinking about doing this nonprofit to do salvage. And so I went over there, gave a card, and we had lunch the next day. Uh, and so I, I was very heavily involved individually, but then Skanska supported it. I think that goes back to that culture and code of conduct tends mm-hmm. to be kind of referring to. So no, we're not tied to Skanska. I did serve as a, the first like two-year board chair. I've been involved as a board member ever since. So I'm, I'm heavily so what are some things that you hear from your collaborators or your customers? We knew it would be better, but we had no idea it was this was going to happen or that was going to. So do you ever get feedback from your the end users of the buildings or the people who help you create the buildings where the amount of improvement or the impact, your mission and the, and the efforts towards sustainability, bigger impact than they ever expect? A lot of this or the you know, small things were uh, Skaska's working at Grady hospital, we're doing the inventory care tower. And when we were out at Gilmer, uh, which is a street adjacent to the building, we tied in some sanitary lines. And wouldn't you know, Gilmer is an old cobblestone street. Mm. Back in the day, this was covered up by asphalt. Instead of throwing it away, we uh, call up Lifecycle, organize a little fun work party. Kind of, It's kind of impromptu when this happens, right? Mm-hmm. They come by the truck and these uh, containers that could hold the, the cobblestone. And then uh, we did the best we can logistically to make it efficient, but we got the cobblestone into the into the bins and they, they we they, we saved them. So then Lifecycle gets it. They have a nonprofit match program. So if you're a nonprofit in the region, uh, you uh, apply for materials and you can get free materials or, or or at least store credit. We've we've done over 350 free grants to other nonprofits that need capital improvements uh, to over 260 different nonprofits. So so some of the nonprofits have come back. And in this case, the um, uh, Trees Atlanta um, is building a new headquarters, and uh, and they, my understanding is that they have used these cobblestones for their headquarters. Great example, you know, free material going to a good cause. Yeah, pay, you know, A to B. Nice. And I think in this case, that store gets more more credit. You know, I don't know how big of a story that is in the community at this point. It certainly is a good story. I feel that way at Candida with the Alumni Association. They renovated their roof because the flashing gave way. It was 80-year-old roof and it was leaking, but the slate tile is still good. So at Candida, we saved this tile and then we cut it up. And we, of course, didn't use all that we saved. So there was like a civil engineering program, the Tech's Blitz annual event. Eric Marks runs. He uh, When the student team that wins, they get their name on one of those salvage slate tiles. So it's an extension of them kind of continuing that story. And I think that impact is really great. You know, other than that, one of the bad things about sustainability is typically, as soon as it's achieved, it goes away. Um, think back earlier in my career, I had to convince uh, owners to use LED light. Today, LED lights aren't even a part of sustainability. It's just a given. It's one of the things about it is as soon as it becomes normal, that they seem to go in this bucket where it was never a part of sustainability anyway. Interesting. So where is Skanska prepared to take this mission of sustainability into the future? What do you see as the possibilities for the industry as can things continue to move forward? I think today 
the biggest issue that we're facing is uh, carbon emissions and, and global warming. We need to be a corporate partner and responsible. In a few markets, we develop some of our own project. And uh, when we do that, for example, we, we use that EC3 tool. We can re review um, the carbon of the projects, at least to what the industry is you know, uh, ready to do at really no, no additional cost. I think that is the future um, for the next few years, though in, in the, the cycle of the way things are, Let's say we'll solve the mid-body carbon issue. Um, you know, at some point there'll be something else that comes up. Right? We need to continue to monitor it. Just like uh, when I was a kid, the refrigerator with the ozone layer was a was a hot item. That that was one we seemed to solve, get past pretty easily compared to the uh, carbon emissions. But I think that too will come. What if people are thinking about a building that they would be the end user of, or that they would be the owner? What's the best way for them to advocate for this? You just need to do what's right at the time. You know, we've studied a lot of these projects and there's a lot of, a lot of technologies, a lot of things that we use that make a lot of sense. And there's others that don't. I mean, for, I'll give you a good example of Candida. You know, it's a state institution that does a lot of research and, you know, they, there's a lot of good reasons for them to have a water treatment plant in their basement to kind of be a part of the industry and international group that looks into the feasibility of district water. It's not a smart thing financially to do. So, you know, if you're a client coming and talk to me, you know, not However, the solar panels at Candida, you couldn't think of an easier installation at this point. It's three years in. Uh, the building is generating well over two times the electricity that it uses. So, you know, if you're, if you're still thinking on paybacks from eight, nine, ten years ago, you're way off. One thing I don't want to confuse on, I am not somebody who supports sustainability in a way that everything always costs more. It's one of the reasons I'm so interested in the salvage side of things. The fact that Candida salvages material saves them $84,000. There's a way to work together and design construction where you go kind of go after it all in. I think that analysis is much better than, than kind of one widget at a time. Holistically, the building works together and the systems work together. And if you buy in as a team, then I think that's, that's really what I would encourage. Don't necessarily say, oh, you know, prove to me that an LED light makes sense. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, prove out to me. Looking at the entire building as a whole and then not just taking a one-size-fits-all approach to it, but case-by-case, building-by-building, user-by-user. Yep, and system-by-system. System. And there might be some situations we're dealing with a campus. Maybe some systems can be district or a central plant, right? And all these things would matter. Impact where you're at sustainability. It'll cut. One thing that's interesting right now with these high inflation times is I, I, I bet we'll begin to see a lot of projects that try to address that. And these are sustainability oriented as well, right? Um, just think about if our power grid had already been all wind, solar, hydro, um, we wouldn't necessarily have, you know, gas fluctuation issues. So you, you may, as an infrastructure, as a business, decide you don't want to deal with that in the future, right? Mm -hmm. Paybacks uh, work out better <laughs> if there's a inflation. When you think about the right projects or the best project for Scanscape, the ideal client or the ideal opportunity, what are some of the characteristics that really uh, you look for when you decide whether or not to go after a project or when you when you want to go all in? It is. It's really about matching up the task of the project with the people. You know, a good Scanscape project is you know you've got people who are excited about building it for the client. A client who has a, a project that positively impacts the community in some way. Beyond that, you know, we work in all types of different industries. You know, whether it's a, a data center or a hospital or a stadium project, those are all great. I've worked in all of them. But I think what excites me the most is a is team with a kind of the future in mind, right? Like we're building this hospital because it's needed. 
and it's going to help the business plan for the healthcare system, which is important. With the Candida building, it's going to drive regenerative design in the southeast and kind of prove to the world that, hey, in a hot human climate, we can do that. And so that's very exciting. I think it's important for people to find that extra cause in their work. If architecture and engineering and construction professionals hear this message and learn about Skanska and they want to become collaborator, or what's the best way for them to go about it? Will they just go to the website? So I think it'd be great. Reaching out on the website to any of the local offices. That is one thing about construction. It is very much a local industry. If you're doing a job in in Atlanta, you're going to reach out to me, jimmy.mitchell at skanska.com. If you're in uh, California, you're going to want to reach out. So if there are people listening to this and they like what they're hearing, but they're maybe not ready to start building anything, they're more just an advocate or they just want to be a part of the movement. What are those opportunities? What's a call to action for those people to get involved? Like the Support Lifecycle Building Center on October 18th are having a celebration of the LBCs. A number of objectives we're trying to accomplish with this. This is going to be a celebration at the Candida Building, which is great. Like I said, but I think as the cause of the event, we want to um, support Lifecycle Building Center. And the Candida Building has salvaged 28 materials uh, as new again. So it's a celebration of, of those materials as well as kind of here we are. We're sitting in a, a great example of the reuse economy at work. What are we going to do moving forward? And we also want to uh, invite a lot of policy folks to that as well to, to see how we can move the uh, reuse economy forward. So we're real excited. I think that'd be a, a real fun way to get involved. You can reach out to me at jimmy.mitchell at skanska.com or to uh, see about registration for that. Uh, if, you, if you don't already have access to like the newsletter of Lifecycle, you can sign up for the newsletter. You can get registered on that. Of course, if you're interested in sponsoring or fun art, you can reach out to Lifecycle. Get that figured out. Thank you for joining us, friends, for another serving of common sense. This was not complicated, just green. Sponsored by Creative Interface Architecture and Interiors. Redefining the impact of great design, one client at a time. Check us out at www.creativeinterface.design.